Welcome to the Nutrition Science Podcast, where we help you cut through the noise and make informed, science-based decisions about nutrition and your health. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Adrian Chavez. And in this episode, we are going to be discussing energy balance. So when I sat down to put together notes for this episode, I realized that this topic is just far too complicated to fully address on a podcast episode. So what I'm going to do is go over as much as I possibly can in the time frame that I have available. I don't want to make this more than like 45 minutes. It may be a little bit longer than that, but I'm going to try to pack as much information as I can into this time frame. And I'm also going to link additional resources. So for those of you who may want to go deeper, you may want to learn more, may need help with application. At the end of the episode, I'll give you guys some different resources that you can use to help go deeper on this topic. And then also for those of you who are listening to the podcast and you're not aware, I publish a blog post along with each of these episodes. And the blog post is going to give a little bit more information on various things as well, along with provide many citations to scientific research. And if you want to dig deeper into the actual science of the topic, you can go to the blog post and look into those studies. But I'm not going to dig too deep into comparing studies and things like that because it would just take too long. And I really want to make sure that I provide you with information that is going to be valuable, that is going to help you understand this topic from a general overview and help you walk away from listening to this episode with just more confidence in understanding you know, what energy balance is, why it's important, what makes up energy balance, how different things affect energy balance, and more. So before we get started, just like every episode, I want to thank those of you who have contributed to the podcast who have, you know, signed up to support via Patreon or sent donations via PayPal. That is highly appreciated. And if you're enjoying this show, if you like the content I put out, I would greatly appreciate it if you would consider supporting it through either of these various methods. The reason being is it takes me quite a while to put this together and I pay someone to help edit it and get it all ready for publication and release. And it is difficult for me to sustain this because I'm not, I don't make money off this. So if you want to support the show and you want to make sure that this show continues through the future, because as I mentioned in the past, I've been inconsistent with the podcast for that very reason. Costs time, costs money, doesn't really pay anything back. So if you want to help support the show, make sure that it, it stays consistent in the future, that would be really great. And I've mentioned this before. I will occasionally potentially advertise different products to help provide some of that support as well. But I would prefer to just keep it informative, keep it sponsored by you all. And it really shows me that you guys appreciate the information and the messaging when you go out and support it in that way. So let's go ahead and jump into the content of the episode. As I mentioned, I want to get as much as I can in this time frame in terms of information and helping you develop a good understanding of this topic. So first, let's define energy balance. So energy balance is basically 
the difference between the amount of energy that our body uses and the amount that we're consuming. So if we are consuming more energy than our body's using, we are considered in a positive energy balance and we will gain weight over time. If we are consuming less than our body is using, we will be in a negative energy balance and we will lose weight over time. And if we're consuming the same amount as our body is using, we will stay in a stable weight and that's called maintenance. So if we're at energy maintenance, our weight will be maintained. If we're in an energy surplus, we'll gain weight. If we're in an energy deficit, we will lose weight. That is the simplified version of this topic. As you'll see throughout this episode, there are so many variables that go into this energy balance equation that make it extremely complicated. From an overarching perspective, that's really what it comes down to. And understanding that and understanding the variables that go into that are going to help you better understand weight gain, weight loss, weight maintenance. If you have any goals to gain weight or lose weight or anything like that, this information is going to be very important. The reason that some people say this equation is not true or it's incorrect is because it gets a lot more complicated when we look at the various variables that go into energy intake and energy expenditure, and it does get incredibly complicated. So we are going to go into that, but just understand that when we are in a surplus, we're going to gain weight. When we're in a deficit, we're going to lose weight. There's no way around that. If you're in a calorie deficit, you're going to lose weight. Okay, so a lot of people say, oh, I'm in a calorie deficit, but I'm not losing weight. You're not in a calorie deficit. You may be eating a small amount, but you're not technically in a deficit because you're not losing weight. And if you weren't a deficit, you would be losing weight over time. So really important to understand that general framework. And like I said, we'll go into all of the specific details. First thing I want to discuss, though, before we start talking about actual weight gain and weight loss and energy and everything that goes into that, I want to talk about weight fluctuations because this is something that really plagues a lot of people and understanding this right off the bat is important. So we will have day-to-day -day weight fluctuations that aren't reflective of an actual change in our body mass. So let's say you step on the scale one day, you step on the scale the next day, it's three pounds higher the next day. That can be because of water retention or less like the amount of water that we're retaining and not necessarily a change in our actual body mass. So this is another piece that confuses a lot of people is because you'll step on the scale and you'll see, oh, I went up three pounds one day or I went down two pounds one day. And it makes people think that their weight is actually changing. And when that happens, it is mostly water weight. And there are various factors that impact water weight. If we had a hard exercise, our body will retain a little bit more water. Oftentimes, if you're lacking sleep, you'll retain a little bit more water. If you're in certain stages of your menstrual cycle for women, you may retain more water. Or if you had a high sodium meal. So let's say, for example, you normally don't eat a lot of sodium and you have a couple of high sodium meals, you'll retain a little bit more water and you can see your body weight go up. Same thing with carbohydrates. So we store carbohydrates in our, in our muscles as glycogen. And when we store more carbohydrates, we will store more water along with that glycogen. That doesn't mean you're gaining three pounds over a day. That means that you're, you're putting water into storage with those carbohydrates. So let's say, for example, you were eating at a deficit, and then one day you eat 
a bit more from higher carbohydrate foods, well, that'll cause you to kind of put on a little bit more water and you'll see the scale go up. But the reality is you're not gaining mass on your body. You're just holding on to more water. This is also the reason why low carb and ketogenic diets sometimes make people feel like they lose a lot of weight early on. And if we're just tracking weight, you'll see that low carb diets reduce weight more quickly because those glycogen stores in our muscle and in our liver are cleared out when we don't eat as many carbohydrates. So we're not storing as many carbohydrates. And these glycogen stores, they're not a bad thing. These glycogen stores are there to serve as an energy source when we need them during exercise and other times where our energy needs go up. When you're eating a lower carbohydrate diet, you'll use some of those glycogen stores and you'll lose some of that stored water with that glycogen. And that will lead to what looks like a a rapid weight loss. But the reality is you're just losing water. And when you eat more carbohydrates, you're going to gain that water weight back. And that's not necessarily a good thing to lose glycogen stores and water weight. It looks like it on the scale, especially if you're allowing the scale to dictate quote unquote success, it'll look like a good thing when you lose those glycogen stores. But the reality is it'll make your muscles look smaller which is not necessarily a good thing. It will cause you to lose those glycogen stores, which could be serve as like fuel during intense exercise, which again, isn't a good thing. So this drop in weight that some people will look at as success isn't necessarily a good thing. And so this is why we have to understand these weight fluctuations and the factors that dictate them so that we don't allow them to just throw you off mentally because they can for a lot of people. And an important thing with that is you don't want to weigh yourself randomly. If you're doing that, you're going to catch random time points that are going to look like you're having fluctuations and you won't get a real good sense of your actual body mass. So the recommendation, if you're going to be tracking your weight, if you're trying to like gain weight or lose weight and you want to track that, the best possible thing to do is stay on a very consistent schedule with the way that you're tracking your weight. So either doing it like, for example, Monday and Friday or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or every single day, first thing in the morning. You do that, you want to look at averages and trends and not individual time points. So if you're going to be doing that, make sure that you have a good relationship with the scale. And I know a lot of people don't. And I don't recommend it if you don't have a good relationship or you haven't reconciled that relationship and understanding. But if you understand, okay, it's going to fluctuate. My goal is to really get an understanding of the average over time. You can really benefit by being consistent with that tracking and doing three days per week. I recommend Monday and Friday often. If you want to do it the minimal amount of times, I would recommend Monday and Friday because a lot of people will see gain a little bit of weight during the weekend. It goes down during the week for many people, and that'll kind of give you some insight into your habits. Or like I said, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or just do it every single day. First thing in the morning, do it every single day. Get a, there are smart scales available, and I'll link one in the show notes. There's different types of smart scales that will connect directly to an app, and they will immediately put the information into your app, and then they will track those trends over time. And if you really don't want to look at it or you just want to look at it once a week and you want to weigh every day, you can just step on the scale, put 
a piece of tape over the number on the scale and just look at it once a week so that it doesn't cause day-to-day fluctuations in how you think you're doing. Because this is a big issue for a lot of people is they'll get caught up on these individual time points and then they'll weigh themselves one day and say, oh, success, I feel good today. And then the next day it goes up two pounds of water weight for whatever reason. And then they feel bad about it and feel like you're failing and you get into this negative spiral. You really want to avoid that. And the way to avoid it is either don't weigh yourself. And if you're not weighing yourself, you're probably not going to be able to reliably increase or decrease your weight. So if you're trying to, let's say, gain muscle or lose body fat, you do want to have a measure of your body weight. And so that might be one way to do it. Get one of these scales, connect it to your app, cover it on a regular basis. Just cover the number on the scale and just let it go directly to your app and then check it every two weeks or so that you can see how those trends are doing or every week and you can see what that trend looks like because the trend, the averages and the trends are what are important, not the individual days. And so that I wanted to get out the way because I know a lot of people struggle with these day-to-day weight fluctuations and not understanding them and letting them dictate mood and how you feel and whether or not you were quote unquote successful the day before and sticking to your nutrition habits. And you don't want to get into that mindset. All right. So next let's talk about energy balance and how we measure it. So energy is measured by calories. And so a calorie is simply a unit of energy. It's a way to measure energy, just like an ounce is a way to measure volume. And that's what a calorie is. So a calorie is going like all calories essentially are the same because it's simply a measure of energy. So we'll talk about more about this later because there's more nuance to that because calories can have different effects in our body and can impact our body in different ways. But at the very basic level, a calorie is a calorie and it's just a unit of measurement, just like If you took a pound of feathers and a pound of gold, they're both a pound. So uh, 500 calories of Cheetos is the same 500 calories of broccoli. Now, it would be a lot easier to eat 500 calories of Cheetos. And the 500 calories of Cheetos is going to have differential impacts on your hunger, on the way it's broken down, used in your body. But it's the same amount of energy. So at the end of the day... Body weight changes come down to the energy balance, and the energy balance is determined by calories. The calories is how we measure it. So this is something that there's a lot of misconceptions around. People say, oh, a calorie is not a calorie. No, a calorie is a calorie. It's just a unit of measurement. Of course, healthier foods are going to help manage body weight better for various reasons. Higher fiber foods are going to be more filling. Higher protein foods are going to be more filling. Foods that are less energetically dense, like for example, broccoli, a cup of broccoli is only 25 calories. If you look at that compared to a cup of oil, that's going to be like a thousand calories. So there are factors beyond the calorie. So of course, these factors matter and the food that you eat matters. But at the end of the day, a calorie is simply a unit of energy. So when you hear someone say calorie is not a calorie, I would question their information because a calorie is a calorie. It's just different calories can have differential impacts on our body because of the way 
the foods that are providing those calories and how much fiber and protein, different aspects of that food. But a calorie is simply a unit of, of energy. And if you're eating 2,000 calories from, let's say, Twinkies and eating 2,000 calories from super nutritious whole foods diet, and you're eating the exact same amount of calories, you're likely going to lose about the same amount of weight with small fluctuations based on the amount of calories that you're absorbing. So if you're eating a lot of fiber, you're probably going to absorb a little bit less calories. And if you're eating whole foods with a lot of plant matter, you're going to absorb a little bit less of that those calories. But at the end of the day, 500 calories of Twinkies is the same as 500 calories of chicken and broccoli. All right, so now let's talk about energy balance and what goes into that equation. We talked about energy in versus energy out. Let's talk about what makes up those energy in versus energy out. So energy out is like energy expenditure. So how many calories are we burning throughout a day? And this can be broken down into four different components. So we have our basal metabolic rate. That's the amount of calories that you're burning at rest. Some people call this resting energy expenditure. So this makes up most of our energy expenditure. A lot of people don't understand this or don't realize this, but a large percentage of our energy expenditure is made up from basal metabolic rate. Then we have what's called a thermic effect of food. That's the amount of energy it takes to break down a food and absorb it. Then we have our exercise energy expenditure, which is like if you go for a run, you go for a lift, you go for a swim, you go rowing or something like that. The amount of energy that you expend during exercise. And then we have what's called non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And this is the amount of energy that you expend through non-exercise activities. I washed my car this morning. How, the energy that I expended during washing my car. I move my hands when I talk. The energy I expend when I move my hands. All of this, this non-exercise energy can add up to a significant amount. So the thermic effect of food for most people is going to be about 10 to 15% of total energy expenditure. And then the rest is going to be exercise and non-exercise activity. And depending on how active you are, this can be a lot more. So for example, if you're a runner and you're running six miles or eight miles in a day, your exercise energy expenditure is likely going to take up a larger percentage of your total energy expenditure than the average person. But on average, basal metabolic rate makes up about 60 to 75% of our energy expenditure. Thermic effect of food is 10 to 15. And then all of our activity energy expenditure makes up the rest. When we look at basal metabolic rate, Basal metabolic rate is a function of our body size and also the number of calories that we're consuming. So our body size and our body composition. So the taller you are, the more mass you have, and the more muscle you have is going to increase your basal metabolic rate. So if you took two people, one of them is five foot one, 130 pounds, and the other is six foot one, 230 pounds that individual who's 230 pounds is going to have a much higher basal metabolic rate. If you took two individuals, one's 6'1", 230 pounds, but 50% body fat versus one person who's 6'1", 230 pounds and 10% body fat, the individual who has 10% body fat is going to have a significantly higher basal metabolic rate as well because that additional muscle mass is more metabolically active. So muscle will use slightly more calories. So like a pound of muscle will probably contribute to five calories burned per day. But when you talk about at 230 pounds versus 50% versus 10, that's a lot of muscle mass. So that's going to contribute to a significant amount, a couple hundred calories more per day that the individual with more muscle mass is using. 
and that person's going to have higher exercise energy expenditure because they have more muscle mass and that metabolically active tissue requires more energy to move. So muscle mass, size, these are the factors that kind of drive energy expenditure. And then another important one, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more as well, is the amount of calories that you're consuming. When you eat more, your energy, your basal metabolic rate will tend to go up. And this varies from person to person, but if you're eating more, your basal me metabolic rate will typically increase. And then if you're eating less, your basal metabolic rate will go down. And so this is called adaptive thermogenesis. When we eat less, our body will adapt by trying to kind of keep us where we're at. It will reduce the basal metabolic rate just a little bit. Outside of that, we talked about thermic effect of food. So thermic effect of food accounts for, I said, approximately 10 to 15% of total energy expenditure. This varies from macronutrient to macronutrient, but on average, about 10% of the calories that we consume is required to actually metabolize and break down those foods and turn them into energy. So if we look at, let's say you're eating 2000 calories per day, your body's using about 200 calories to break down that food. And this varies by macronutrient, as I mentioned. So protein has the highest thermic effect of food. And this is one of the reasons that protein is highly emphasized oftentimes during weight loss and helping with body composition changes. Not only does protein fuel muscle mass and help to build muscle and help to improve metabolism from that side of things, but protein also has a very high thermic effect of food. So the thermic effect of food is about 20 to 30%. So let's say you're eating 100 calories of protein, it's going to take about 20 calories to metabolize that protein. And so you're only really getting like 80 calories from that. Whereas opposed to carbohydrates, it's about 5 to 10%. So if you're eating 100 calories of carbohydrates, it's taking 5 to 10 calories to break that down. More fiber is going to be on the higher end. So if you're eating like very complex fiber-rich carbohydrates, it's probably going to be closer to that 10%. And then we also don't absorb some of that, those fiber calories as well. But that is going to make a difference in overall dietary pattern. Like a higher protein dietary pattern is going to lead to slightly... Um, easier body weight regulation because of the fact that the thermic effect of protein is a little bit higher. Fat has about a zero to three percent thermic effect. So fat has the lowest thermic effect. And so when you're eating fat, you eat 100 calories of fat, you might absorb all 100 calories without having to use any energy to break that down and absorb it. And so fat tends to be on the end of the lowest thermic effect. And then we have carbohydrates in the middle and then protein has the highest thermic effect. So that's why low-fat diets were recommended quite a few years ago. Now people have trended in the other direction. The key is eating enough protein can increase thermic effect and can also increase satiety as well. And we won't talk about a lot of that because, again, this episode would be hours if I really got into all the details here. But just understand that thermic effect is highest for protein, middle for carbohydrates, lowest for fat. After that... We're going to talk about, you know, energy expenditure. So I mentioned energy expenditure. So depending on how much you exercise, that's going to drive how much energy expenditure you get from that. And then we have the non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which makes up a big amount of our energy expenditure for a lot of people. So you'll hear people refer to NEAT, N-E-A-T as non-exercise activity thermogenesis. This can vary dramatically from person to person. And this is a big factor that drives differences in body weight is the amount of neat people participate in. So if you know that individual who's always fidgeting, who always has to be moving around, I'm probably one of those who, who's like shaking their leg and moving their hands and 
that person is going to have much higher energy expenditure on a day-to-day basis than the person who isn't. And a lot of this is subconscious. So you can take one individual and compare them to another and they're eating the same amount and you're like, wow, this person can eat the same amount as this person, but one of them gains weight and the other one doesn't. Well, a lot of that can be driven oftentimes by differences in need. So this can be a difference of three, four, 500 calories per day between person to person. And so one person may be able to eat significantly more and maintain their body weight because of the amount of need that they get in throughout the day. And some of this you can consciously do, like if you go for walks, you go to the restroom, you park far from the grocery store, things like that, where you're increasing your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. But a good portion of this is subconsciously regulated. And again, this drives differences in body weight. And this is one of the factors, one of the many factors. Appetite, also metabolism can play a bit of a role, like underlying basal metabolic rate. A lot of people think, oh, I just have a slow metabolism versus others, or this person has a fast metabolism. And the reality is it usually comes down to the amount of NEAT people get and then just baseline appetite. So individuals who tend to gain more weight tend to engage in less neat and tend to have higher appetites overall. So they're just hungrier more often. They get more pleasure from food and it's not anything that they're consciously doing. It's just you get more pleasure from food. So you want to eat more than someone else. And this other person may have just less hedonic drive to eat. And so they, they eat when they need to. They don't necessarily snack a lot. They don't eat just for fun because they see yummy looking foods there and then they engage in a lot of neat. And those are the people that you meet that you're like, oh, wow, this person just stays thin no matter what they eat. Oftentimes, it's not the case at all. The reality is that they eat massive meals like everyone else or like they'll have giant meals and you'll you'll see them eat a lot, but they never snack. And sometimes they skip breakfast because they're just not hungry and they don't eat after dinner and they don't go for dessert because they just don't have that hunger drive. Like, I don't understand because I have it. Definitely enjoy food, but some people don't. And and I've worked with a lot of people and these are, it's not the majority of the population, but there's a percentage of people who just say, oh, I I just don't have a drive to eat. I just eat when, when I'm really hungry and I feel like I need to. And those people look like they can eat a lot, but typically they're eating large amounts in certain meals and then they're not eating that much outside of that and they're engaging in a lot of need. So these are some factors that kind of can contribute to differences in body weight overall and propensity to gain weight and lose weight. So I briefly mentioned like energy density of food and I referred to like broccoli versus oil or olive oil, for example. And this comes down to the amount of energy that comes from different macronutrients. So one gram of fat equals nine calories. So if you take one gram of oil, that's going to be nine calories. If you took one gram of pure carbohydrates or pure protein, let's say, for example, one gram of pure carbohydrates is going to be something like potatoes or rice, that's going to be four calories. Pure protein is going to be four calories as well. So fat is what's considered more energy dense. So you can have a meal that has a lot of calories if it's high in fat and it doesn't look like it does because it's very energy dense. So let's say you put two tablespoons of oil on top of a salad or on top of a regular meal, you can increase the calories significantly and not increase the overall size of the meal. So 
that makes the meal a little bit more energy dense. That doesn't mean don't eat fat because fat is important for health. Fat is important for the nutrition that we can get from it. The fatty acids, the vitamin E, the other fat soluble vitamins and fat is important because it also helps to manage hunger. So when we eat a little bit more fat in the meal, that slows digestion that can cause us to feel full for longer but we don't want to overdo it with fat for this reason is sometimes if we're overdoing it that can lead to just really really high energy dense meals that don't look like they have more that much energy so when you go and eat fried food say you go to a fast food restaurant you can have a meal that has 1500 calories and it doesn't feel like it at all because the potatoes are only 150 calories but the french fries are 500 because they've soaked up all the oil from the fryer. And so just to understand when it comes to individual macronutrients, fat has nine calories, protein has four, carbohydrates provide four as well. So as you can see, this simple formula of calories in versus calories out gets a lot more complicated. And we haven't even gone into that much detail at this point. But what is a really simple formula is really complicated in reality. And this is why weight loss can be hard and weight gain can be hard for some people as well. So why is energy balance important? Why did I decide to do a whole podcast episode on this? Because there are consequences of eating too little and eating too much. And the eating too little doesn't get discussed enough. There are negative health consequences of eating too little, and these negative health consequences include loss of muscle mass, poor bone mineral density, disturbances in hormonal status, fatigue, mental health issues. Like All of these can occur from not consuming enough because we're not nourishing our bodies. Like Our bodies need energy. And when we go on low-calorie diets or you, you just deprive yourself of food for long periods of time, your body has a hard time providing that energy that's needed and it can have negative effects on various aspects of health. Eating too much can lead to accumulation of excess energy throughout our body and that's a problem. So if we're eating in a surplus for a long period of time, most of us will start to gain fat. Some people won't. Some people won't gain much fat, but the fat will start to get deposited in the wrong places. So our ability to gain fat is actually a protective mechanism to prevent us from having negative health consequences of excess energy intake. I'll repeat that because I know a lot of you are probably going to be confused about this and I'll explain it. If you take two individuals, one you, you feed them the same amount, their energy expenditure is the same, if there was a way to kind of completely control all of this. And one of them is able to put on body fat. And so when they eat an energy surplus, their body takes that energy, puts it into storage, and puts it away. So it's like if you had a garage in your house, and when you when you have too much stuff, you can just put that stuff in the garage, and it's out of your house, and it doesn't, doesn't cause a big issue, doesn't build up throughout your house. If you take the other person who's not able to put on that body fat, and just from a genetic standpoint, because genetically some people have just higher capacity to hold on to extra energy, that person is more likely to experience negative health consequences of that energy surplus. So that individual, let's say, for example, you know, they're eating in a surplus, they don't put on any body fat or they put on very small amounts of body fat, but that energy starts to just circulate in their system. So they ha have fat in their system in the form of triglycerides. They have glucose in their system in the, 
or sugar in their system, carbohydrates in their system in the form of glucose, and that circulates in their bloodstream. High blood sugar equals diabetes. So if that sugar is circulating, instead of that extra energy being stored, it circulates and builds up in, in heart tissue and liver and muscle, it's going to negatively affect metabolism. It's like in the example of if you had the garage and you could put your stuff in the garage, if you don't have the garage and you keep getting more stuff, it'll turn into a situation where your actual home starts to get full of excess stuff. And that will impact the functionality of your home because it's like a hoarder situation where that starts to build up. And being able to add an extra garage or gain body fat is a protective response to excess energy. And I know many people will think like that that'll sound weird, but being able to safely gain body fat, your body being able to just store that extra energy into what's called adipose tissue, that's fat tissue, is a protective mechanism so that that extra energy doesn't circulate in damaged tissues. So this is why not consuming too much energy is something we want to avoid is because it'll eventually, maybe we can put it in a storage and it doesn't negatively affect our metabolism, but at some point, if we're consistently eating in a surplus, eventually it's going to start to negatively impact our health, negatively impact our metabolism, lead to high triglycerides, high cholesterol, high blood sugar, and all of those can damage the tissues throughout our body because high amounts of energy is not supposed to be circulating in our system all the time. That's why these things are considered diseases, high blood sugar, high cholesterol, high triglycerides. These are health conditions and these are risk factors for chronic disease because this isn't supposed to happen. We're supposed to eat the amount of energy that our body needs and our body's supposed to use that energy, store what it can't use at the moment to be used for energy in the future when energy is not available, when you're not eating. And when that's happening, that it's not going to negatively affect our health. We can eat when we're eating the right amount. It's not going to have a negative impact on our health. When we go too high, it's going to start to have a negative impact on our health. And when we go too low, we're not going to be able to have the building blocks that our body needs to make new muscle tissue, new bone, and all of that is going to negatively impact our health as well. So we want to be in that sweet spot. And that sweet spot is a little bit different than a lot of people think, in my opinion, because a lot of us are trained to believe that the lower the body fat, the better. And so we think of, you know, quote unquote, health as the lowest possible body fat. But there was actually a study that was recently published. It was a meta-analysis looking at body fat and longevity. It was looking at the body fat levels that are associated with the longest lifespan. And that study found that 22% was the body fat that was associated with the longest lifespan in men. And 35% was the longest lifespan or the body fat that was associated with the longest lifespan in women. This is far higher than what is typically seen as like, quote unquote, healthy. But the reality is that we can have more body fat. Having a little body fat is not a negative thing. It's like having a garage in your home and you're able to store away some of that extra energy when it does come in. It's not a bad thing. And, and so having too much, yes, it can be a problem. But having a little bit of body fat, having 22% isn't even a little bit or 35% isn't even a little bit. Having a healthy amount of body fat that's functioning properly, that isn't overfilled, is actually beneficial to our health. Having too low of body fat 
can have negative health implications. And then, like I mentioned, having too much can have negative health implications as well. But there's a middle ground. And that middle ground is going to be different from person to person. As we talked about before, some people have a very low propensity to gain fat. And so they may have metabolic health consequences. If they're in a surplus, they may experience negative health consequences at lower levels of body fat. So you can see people with 20% body fat, like a male with 20% body fat, who may have insulin resistance and prediabetes at 20%. And then you can find someone else who's 30% who may be perfectly metabolically healthy because instead of that energy circulating in their system and impacting metabolism, it just gets stored where it's supposed to go. And a lot of this is individual variation. And this is going to be a theme of this episode. I mean, this is a theme of the whole podcast and, and nutrition overall. So there's just a lot of individual variation in these things. And so oftentimes we look at like, okay, we define like quote unquote healthy body fat ranges. And the reality is the healthy body fat range for you is the body fat that you have when you're healthy. If you're able to be at 30% body fat, but your, your HbA1c, which is a marker of blood sugar, your fasting blood sugar, your fasting insulin, your LDL cholesterol, your triglycerides are all perfect, then that fat is not negatively affecting you. And so there's a range, and that range varies from person to person, and it can be dependent on a lot of factors. I highly recommend not allowing societal standards to dictate what you think is healthy or allowing fitness industry standards to dictate what you think is healthy. I've met a lot of people who are trying to, quote unquote, lose that last 10 pounds and they're harming their health more than helping it. Losing that last 10 pounds, if your body is fighting against you and you're, you're trying to reduce calories even further and exercise more and you're placing the stress on your body from that, that's harming your health more than helping it. And so I just want to emphasize that lower body fat isn't necessarily healthy. Being metabolically healthy it can be somewhat dependent on your body fat level because, of course, if you have too much, like I mentioned, if you just kept storing stuff in your garage and you ran out of room in your garage, that stuff, it'll just start to accumulate in your home. So if you go too far in that direction, it can start to have a negative effect on your health. But that range is wider than what most people think. And health is, is not a body fat percentage. It's not a BMI. And BMI is even worse than body fat. BMI is a completely arbitrary measure. Wouldn't pay attention to that at all. I'm overweight, quote unquote, based on BMI. That is not a way to determine health. Unfortunately, a lot of healthcare providers, they aren't well versed in understanding the nuance here. But the reality is you can be decently high body fat percentage and be perfectly healthy. And on the other end, you can be pretty low body fat percentage and be in poor health. And a lot of that is more dependent on genetics, your metabolic health, and your habits. If you're exercising, and engage in a lot of exercise and you have a high level of cardiovascular fitness, you're going to have great insulin sensitivity and great metabolism. And you can achieve that at a higher body fat percentage, as opposed to, let's say you took someone else who is lower body fat, not exercising. The person who has a higher body fat who's exercising is likely to have better metabolic health and is likely to have better health outcomes. Don't get too caught up in this. And I know beyond health, a lot of people want to do this for aesthetic reasons as well. They want to lose weight to look a certain way. I just want to encourage you not to get too caught up in the societal standards here. 
because the reality is a lot of what's promoted around body fat and body image is just unhealthy, period. It is not a healthy approach. A lot of what we see and what is shown to us as fitness, you know, these bodybuilders and fitness models, they're in poor health. Their health is negatively impacted by the things that they do to look a certain way. And, you know, that's great. Everyone wants to feel good in their own skin, but that doesn't happen based on a body weight. If you talk to a lot of these bodybuilders and fitness models, they don't feel good in their own skin. And feeling good in your skin is more about mental health and how you think about yourself and how you look at yourself as opposed to your body fat percentage. I really want to encourage, you know, this aspect of things cuz I think societally we really need to get away from some of this stuff and we really need to start focusing more on health and what's really healthy. And what's really healthy is not driving your body fat as low as you possibly can. What's really healthy is engaging in healthy habits, exercising, stress management, feeling good about yourself, being content with the way that you look and feel. And these things don't come from a body fat percentage. Okay. So as I'm talking about this in this episode, I'm not talking about it from a hey, energy balance is important because you got to drop your body fat and look a certain way. I'm talking about it from a health standpoint. And it's important from a health standpoint. And that's why energy balance is important because we want to be able to nourish our bodies properly without being undernourished, but also without being overnourished. This is why I'm talking about this topic, not because of achieving a certain look or something like that. So next, I want to just briefly talk about how do we figure out our energy needs. So there's a lot of calculators online that will help you to figure out your energy needs. And the one that I like is called the NIH Body Weight Planner. If you type that into Google, you'll find it. And there's different information that you put in. These are all estimates. So these are based on standard norms, and they're not going to be completely accurate for everyone. They're usually pretty close. But let's say, for example, you put it in and it comes out 2,000 calories. It could be that you actually need 2,400 or it could be that you actually need 1800. You know, there's some variation there based on your own genetics and your own need, your own activity, and your body burns with that activity and so many factors that go into it. So that's the best way to estimate your energy needs. Now, the only way to really figure out what your energy needs are, track your calories and weigh yourself on a regular basis. And what you'll find is if you're tracking your calories and weighing yourself and you're at maintenance, then that's what your maintenance calories are. If you're tracking your calories and you're gaining, then you're in a surplus. If you're tracking your calories and you're losing, then you're in a deficit. This is really the only like great way to do it without being attached to what's called a metabolic cart. And even that's not 100% accurate because it doesn't take into account exercise, energy expenditure, neat. So there's really like not a great 100% accurate ways to say, okay, this is exactly the amount of calories that you need. These these calculators can help get an estimate in a starting place. And like I mentioned, if you really wanted to understand, okay, what are my energy needs? You have to track for a period of time. And tracking is another one of these like highly stigmatized topics where a lot of people think, okay, this is a bad thing. This is something negative. And I really want to hopefully get you to think about it a little bit differently. So tracking calories, I'd never recommend doing this forever. I don't track my calories. Like I don't put everything I eat into an app, not even close. Haven't done that in years. I don't recommend it. But tracking your calories for a period of time 
can help you learn your energy needs and learn how to meet those needs in a way that works for you. And if you're tracking from that perspective, I'm tracking to learn more about my body and learn how to meet my own body's needs. I think it's an incredible tool that pretty much everyone should do at some point. Now you have to make sure that you're mentally in the right space to be able to do that to where you're not going to track and think, oh, I can never eat higher than this amount of calories and tracking causes you to just kind of get neurotic about it. If you're in that space, then it's probably not the best thing for you. But um, if you can do it from a healthy perspective, do it from a place of learning about your body, learning how to meet your needs. It really is one of the most beneficial exercises that most people can do and most people haven't done. And can't tell you how many people I've spoken to who have never tracked but have tried to lose weight in various ways. Like you're just guessing. And a lot of times if you're trying to lose weight and you're not tracking, you're going to undereat for most people because that's the only way you're going to consistently lose weight is if you just consistently undereat. And if you're tracking, you can accurately determine how much you need and put yourself in a deficit. It's going to be four or 500 calories per day that will lead to some consistent weight loss over time in a predictable manner. So I highly recommend doing a period of tracking your calories if you've never done this before. But the key is you have to track accurately and you have to basically look at how your weight is changing and compare that to your caloric intake. So if you're not tracking accurately, it's going to be a frustrating exercise. And this is another reason why I see a lot of people get frustrated with it is because they'll track, but they don't weigh and measure their food. And when I say accurately, I mean as accurately as you possibly can. So weighing and measuring your food for a period of time, tracking everything you eat. So the biggest mistakes that people make with tracking is they won't weigh and measure their food. They just estimate and you're probably wrong. So you're going to be 20% off because you're estimating and then they won't track like if you go and have a couple of bites of chips or you have a sip of something or you have a lick of something, you don't track that and that adds up to another couple hundred calories. So people will track and they're like, I don't know why I'm not losing weight. And this is where you'll hear people say, I'm in a deficit, but I'm not losing weight. It's because they think they're in a deficit based on an equation that could be wrong. And then based on the tracking that they're doing, that's also wrong. And that can lead to a level of frustration that is just leads people away from tracking and thinking it's a bad thing. And I see this all the time. And if you track accurately and you use that information to guide your nutritional choices for a period of time to help you set up an eating pattern that works for you, it is an incredible tool. But again, you have to track accurately. And there's many different apps that can help you do that. There's MyFitnessPal, there's Chronometer, there's another one called Carbon that will actually adjust calories based on your goals. And that's a really good one as well. And I'll put some links again. I'll put a lot of more information in the blog and in the show notes about this. But if you're going to do this, I highly recommend doing it correctly. And if you're tracking, and let's say, for example, you're tracking and you're at maintenance, if you want to lose weight, you reduce the amount of calories that you're eating. And I never recommend people go too low, but four or 500 calories per day if you're trying to lose weight or up four or 500 calories per day if you're trying to gain weight. And if you do that, what's going to happen is, every, so a, a pound of weight loss is about 4,100-ish calories. Some people say 3,500, but that's not fully correct. So let's say, for example, you were at maintenance, you tracked, you found out that your maintenance was 2,400 calories. 
you drop that down to 19, you ate 19, every eight days or so, your body weight should be going down about a pound. Now, we'll talk about some reasons why that may not happen in a second, but this is how you kind of dictate weight gain and weight loss. And it works pretty well in most cases. Now, there are factors that can hinder weight loss for many people. And this is where some extreme frustration can come in. Let's say you are tracking, you reduce your calories. What happens, we talked about this earlier, adaptive thermogenesis. So let's say you reduce your calories, your body uses less calories. And so like your basal metabolic rate goes down. But what happens more than your basal metabolic rate for most people, let's say you went down from 2,400 to 1,900 calories, what will reduce more than basal metabolic rate for some people? Because basal metabolic rate will go down maybe 5, 10% max. So let's say that goes down 100 calories. And then what happens in most cases is there's subconscious reductions in non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So when someone's eating in a deficit, they move less and they don't realize it. And this accounts for a lot of the variation in body weight changes. You take two individuals and you put one on a high calorie diet or a low calorie diet, the differences in body weight changes can be dramatic. And a lot of this comes down to the energy expenditure that changes as a result of the changes in caloric intake. So this is where things can get really frustrating for some people because you say, oh, every time I eat less, I don't lose weight. I reach a plateau. And a lot of people will think this is quote unquote starvation mode where no matter how little you eat, they gain weight, for example. And what happens is it's just called adaptive thermogenesis. Your body will eat, use less calories. And then you feel like that you're on a roller coaster if you can never reduce your calories low enough. And oftentimes the solution there is to try to just consciously move more rather than trying to reduce your calories and not moving with exercise because oftentimes exercise can also lead to adaptation. So for example, if I burn 300 calories of exercise, some people, when they exercise more, their body will reduce the amount of calories that they're using with NEAT. And this gets just incredibly more complicated because you exercise and then you burn 300 calories, but then your body uses less calories. Or you have more hunger cues and you end up eating more subconsciously. But if you're exercising and you're tracking your calories and you know how many calories you're eating and you add exercise in and you're exercising 300 more calories, that may not lead to weight loss because it could lead to an adaptive effect in your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So the area where most people can really achieve some of these caloric shifts is in the non-exercise activity, is in walking, is in just moving more, going to the park with your kids, washing your car instead of letting someone else wash it, all of these little things. That can add up to three, 500 calories per day. And that can, is a solution for most people who struggle with weight loss is increasing meat. And this is just not talked about enough, not understood enough. Everyone thinks, oh, exercise, eat less, exercise, eat less. Move more, but non-exercise movement. Just try to create a more active lifestyle for yourself. Instead of getting groceries online, even though it's convenient, go to the grocery store, walk around the giant supermarket. That's 200, 250 calories, and your body won't generally adjust for that because it's not intense exercise. And so oftentimes you can increase NEAT pretty significantly in 
not have any adaptive thermogenesis to that or any adaptations to that to where your body reduces calories or increases hunger. And that is a solution for many people. But these differences in NEAT, they drive a lot of changes in body weight and in, in challenges and losing and gaining weight. So I'm going to stop there because I have gone over the time that I'd like to go. And I want to just address a couple of myths and misconceptions about this topic before we end off the show. So first thing I want to cover is the idea that hormones drive fat loss and fat gain or weight loss and weight gain and not energy balance. There's truth to this. Your hormones can impact weight gain and weight loss, but it's through this energy balance equation. So hormones can reduce your energy expenditure. It can reduce your metabolic rate, can reduce your need, can reduce your desire to engage in exercise. And on the other side, hormones can impact your desire to eat. So this would be another three episodes just covering all of the different hormones. But but the simple thing that you want to understand, when someone says, you can't lose weight because of these hormones, this is usually there's not a lot of truth to that. The reality is that, yes, these hormones can impact you, but at the end of the day, it still comes down to energy expenditure and energy intake. It's just these hormones may make you hungrier. They may cause you to move less. They may cause you to have less desire to exercise. But in most cases, these hormones really are are not playing that big of a role. And they're not dictating things. Now, they can also cause like water retention. And, and so they can cause some of these fluctuations and they can make losing weight really frustrating. Like women going through menopause can have a really frustrating time because of these changes in hormones that impact desire to exercise, that impact energy expenditure, that impact desire to eat. But at the end of the day, it still comes down to energy balance and energy intake versus energy expenditure. Another thing, low carbohydrate diets. There are some people that say low carbohydrate diets make you lose weight because they reduce insulin, another hormone. And insulin is a fat storage hormone. This is insulin is a fat storage hormone, quote unquote. But insulin has many other roles, important roles in the body. The goal is not to get insulin down as low as possible. They can have a negative impact on various other important markers of health. But it still comes down to energy balance. Like insulin does not drive that. When we compare low-carb versus low-fat diets or low-carb versus, you know, mixed diets, when calories are equated, there's no difference in weight loss between groups. This is very clearly, I mean, this has been done in multiple studies and very well-controlled studies. Lower carbohydrate diets do not drive more weight loss. What they can do is some people just have an easier time eating less when they're avoiding carbohydrates because it doesn't lead to fluctuations in blood sugar that sometimes can drive more eating. So like, let's say, for example, you eat a lot of carbohydrates, your blood sugar goes up. When it goes back down, that may make you feel hungry again, and it may make you want to eat again, as opposed to if you're eating a high fat, your blood glucose stays relatively stable. But on the other hand, your blood triglycerides are going up. And when you're eating a high fat diet, those triglycerides get pushed right into storage if they're 
being consumed in excess quantities. So there is no value in going low carbohydrate versus eating more carbohydrates. If it's your preference and you enjoy it and you're able to stick with that better, that's where the value is. So a lot of these things that are sold as magic bullets, they're usually just tools that some people do well with. And that leads us to the next thing I want to talk about, which is intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting, same thing. Intermittent fasting is a tool. There is no value from a body weight regulation standpoint of going 16 hours or 18 hours a day without eating if calories are equated. So when we compare groups of people and one group eats the same amount of calories as the other group, but one of them eats in an intermittent fasting schedule, the results are essentially the same. There's one small exception to this is when people eat more of their calories in the morning, which is completely the opposite of what most people are promoting is intermittent fasting. When people eat more of their calories in the morning and cut off dinner earlier, there seems to be a slight advantage in body weight regulation there. I don't think it's even worth doing if that doesn't fit your preferences, but if it works for your schedule and you like to cut off your dinner at 5 p.m., there seems to be a small advantage to that because our bodies are more metabolically active in the morning. So if you're having a big meal at night when your body is a little bit less metabolically active, that can lead to a little bit more storage. But the reality is this is a minor difference in the stu- and there's only been a few studies that have been published in the last couple of years that have kind of showed this minor difference. And it's not worth it if it doesn't fit within your routine and schedule. Like at the end of the day, you have to stick with what's sustainable for you. That's most important. Like if you're trying to lose body fat, trying to lose weight, you have to stick with what's sustainable for you. And if it happens to be cutting off your dinner at five, you might get a little bit of an advantage in terms of weight loss over time, maybe a couple pounds over a year period. Not worth it for the vast majority of people. Best possible solution is just stick with what works for you. Another thing that kind of goes along with that, there used to be, this doesn't seem to be as popular anymore, but there used to be this idea that eating a lot of small meals increases your metabolism. It's not the case at all. Three meals versus five meals. There's no advantage to eating five meals. Stick with what works for you. If it's three meals and a snack, then stick with that. I think this works for most people. I typically tend to recommend that for most people. If two meals and a snack works for you, then you can stick with that too. But stick with what works for you. These little hacks, these eating five meals a day, intermittent fasting, going low carb. These are really just tools that if they happen to help you manage your energy intake better, then it may be helpful for you. But in most cases, they're oversold in terms of the ability to like drive weight loss. They don't. And then another thing I alluded to earlier that I want to discuss is starvation mode. So it doesn't exist. There's not a situation where you eat less and you're just going to stop. Your body's going to gain weight because you ate less. When you eat less, your body will adapt. It will use less calories. And you may find that when you eat more, your body adapts. 
uses more calories and you're able to eat a little bit more and actually like maintain body weight or even lose weight. This is just an adaptive response to the amount of calories that we're eating, but there isn't really a starvation mode. You eat less calories, your body may use less. And so it may be a situation where you can't really eat little enough to lose weight and you probably need to focus on increasing your consumption and increasing your energy expenditure to improve your metabolism so that you can lose weight from that side of things. But the actual like quote unquote starvation mode, as it's often discussed, where people claim that you eat less and gain weight, that that doesn't happen. That's not reality. This has never been demonstrated in any controlled study. A lot of people just don't know how many calories they're eating. They feel like they're eating less because they're starving themselves, but then they're binging between the starvation and they feel like they're always hungry, but they're actually eating more calories than they think. That's usually what's happening. So that's the last myth I want to discuss. I've gone way over where I would have liked to have gone in terms of timing. I knew this was going to take a while and I wanted to try to cover many aspects of this, but th this topic is complicated and there's a reason there's a lot of myths and misconceptions and things around this. But if you want to learn more about this topic, if you want guidance in how to apply a lot of this, I have a course. It's called Fundamentals of Healthy Fat Loss. And this course is normally $200. What I'm going to do is for the next week until March 10th, so I'll give you like 10 days, we'll offer a $50 discount. So if you listen to the podcast, there's going to be a link in the show notes. If you want to learn more about this topic, and the course has hours of instruction on this, has workbook, has information on how to determine your calorie needs, how to track, how to set up your nutrition if you don't want to track and how to go about it if you're just not in the place to track. So you can find the whole course curriculum at the link. Like I said, I will be offering a $50 discount for a limited period of time. If you've learned something and you're like, oh, wow, I, I really want to dive deeper into this topic. This is something that I've struggled with. I can assure you that this course is going to be incredibly helpful for many of you. And I asked a question on my social media recently about asking for questions that I can discuss during this podcast. And sometimes it's sad for me to see some of the questions that come in, to be honest, because people are just confused, confused by all the misinformation out that's put out online. I mean, this is just a confusing topic, to be honest. If you want to break through the confusion and finally feel comfortable understanding your body, understanding your needs, understanding how to set things up in terms of nutrition and how to how to go about this whole process of if you're trying to lose body fat and you're not and you just want to understand how to nourish yourself appropriately, I highly recommend investing in this course. Like I said, it's going to be $50 off, $150 until March 10th. So limited time offer. I will not be discounting that in the future anytime soon. So if this sounds like something that would be helpful for you, highly recommend going over there, investing in it and spending time. Cut off other, other sources for a period of time. Spend those hours. If you spend just a few hours just diving into the information, learning how to apply it, three months from now, you can be in a situation where you feel you understand your body. Like you understand what it needs. You understand how to make those changes that, that you've been trying to make for 10, 20 years. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with and spoken to who have been trying to lose weight for 50 years and don't even know, don't even understand energy balance. It frustrates me because 
the general information sources, a lot of the primary weight loss, even like Weight Watchers, and everyone tries to make it so much more complicated than it is. And if you just spend the time learning and understanding it, I promise you, you'll feel a lot better about how to eat. And in that course, I go into a lot more than just energy balance. There's a reason I call it the fundamentals of healthy fat loss. I go into exercise. I go into resistance training, cardiovascular exercise, how these things impact energy balance and how these things impact weight loss and weight gain. And I also talk about nutrition and foods and cardiovascular risk reduction and cancer reduction in just all aspects of health. Because at the end of the day, as you heard me talk about earlier, it, it really doesn't just come down to body weight and how you look. This is a much more important topic than that. So go check that out if you are interested. And like I said, if you found value in this episode, you are going to find a lot of value in that course. So I'm going to close it out there. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. I hope you all have a great day and we will talk soon.